Sí. Yeah, there it is. When that speaking spell voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Hey, maybe you're doing chores. Maybe you're in the car driving to work. Maybe you're driving to your vacation because it's some, some summertime. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLCpod. They're bringing the show to you and they get cool stuff in return, including ad-free episodes, a video version of the show on demand, and an entire bonus show we call Paid DLC. It comes out every Wednesday and it features our beloved third chair, Lana Bashinsky, who is awesome. We had a, a great uh, episode last week uh, about that was all uh, Horizon Forbidden West spoilers because, you know, spoiler, I finally finished the game after many months of playing it. Uh, very spirited debate about that game. Unexpectedly spirited debate about that game. Uh, so you can check that out. If you are a patron, you get exclusive access to stuff like that and other really cool things. Check them out. Patreon.com slash DLC pod. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, the spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's... Uh, what I don't know. Are you traveling? What are you? Are you traveling this summer? What are you doing, Christian? What's happening? Hey Jeff, I'm I'm listening to this episode live while running and vacuuming. I'm doing chores and, and also exercising. A foley artist as well, Christian Spicer. <laughs> Hold on, the horses are coming. <laughs> oh, oh, I hear I hear a train. Ah-oog. Like all of a sudden, I don't do the choo choo. You know, ah-oog. uh oh, someone broke some glass. Uh, what else do I have? Your mic doesn't like that sound, by the way. We didn't get <laughs> no, any of that. I, I set up my NVIDIA, shout out to NVIDIA Broadcast for protecting the listeners from me doing stupid stuff on the show. <laughs> uh, and the listeners, thank you. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, hey, it's summer, which is supposed to be the lull. We got the lull, but it's still the summer of games. And uh, there's more news this week to talk about. We got big games to talk about. And we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because once again, DLC stands for Delivering Love Cards. Because that's what you do on Valentine's Day. And we have our very own Valentine's Day right here in July because we have multi-award winning reporter at IGN. Our friend, Rebecca Valentine, is back with us. Hey, Rebecca. Oh my gosh. Jeff, it's like, it's 7.30-ish p.m. on a Sunday. I was thinking, man, I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm tired. And you're, this, the intro, you're, the intro to the show never fails to just suffuse me with joy and sunshine. Well, I am very pleased to hear that. That, that. that is part of my job, and I feel very happy to hear that. Uh, I, I, it's why we don't record the pre-show uh, audience. <laughs> so the pre-show is just all of us like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> but then when those lights go on, Jeff turns it on, baby. Oh, hey, it's beautiful. You know, you it's got- like a work of art that you have perfected. I am, I am just so impressed. You are too aspirational. As, as an enthusiastic person, it is aspirational. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I'm very enthusiastic about all the cool stuff we get to talk about today. So let's jump in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by hanging out in one of our cool communities. We have folks in uh, the Discord at 5x5DLC on Discord. We also have a subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Check it out. Hang out with cool folks. Talk about the show. Suggest stories, whatever you like. It's a great place to be. Great places to be. But Rebecca, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, 50% of the thing you have on the sheet here, but E3 coming back. E3 coming back. And we knew... We knew E3 was coming back, but E3 coming back in a very specific way and announcing itself so early this time so that everyone would be filled with confidence and belief that it might actually happen and be spectacular again. Yes. In fact, I I think I owe it to our listeners. Forgive me, Rebecca. Give me a moment because I think this deserves the E3 hype train bumper. Let's do it. That's right. 2023, mark it down now. The hype train will be coming back into the station. My question to you, Rebecca, is, is it? (laughs) I am more optimistic than I have been in a very long time. Uh, So I, I have been poking around. They just fell down outside. I have been poking around E3 for the last year, uh, year-ish, uh, trying to figure out what was going on, right? Because it's been it's been quite the mess. Like there's been this there's been this trajectory. There was twenty nine. So in twenty seventeen, they brought in the public. It was you know chaotic but fine. Twenty eighteen, fine. Twenty nineteen, fine. Uh, in twenty nineteen, they brought in a new director of the ESA, and then uh, twenty twenty there was a pandemic, and then sort of everything just fell to bits. There was obviously no E3 in 2020. There was, they promised a digital edition and then there wasn't one. And then in 2021, there kind of was, it, it's just been this very will they or won't they kind of thing where the, the pandemic making it so that live events could not happen was an obvious reason not to have a live event. But at a certain point, things started coming back and the messaging was all chaotic. And it's just been, it's been very, there has not been a lot of confidence that the ESA has known what they are doing, I think right. is the main thing. And the news that we they have said that they would come back in 2023 but the news is that read pop the people and my i have wor- i work for read pop i used to work for read pop at gamesindustry.biz i was not part of their events team i was part of their journalism uh but that's my disclosure there uh but they read pop the people who do packs and who do like star wars celebration and and multiple other live events have announced that they are coming on as the producers of e3 uh, and that the fact that they are announcing this so very early and that Reed Pop, a company that has been successfully holding events for a, a long time and has actually success, successfully brought back some events uh, mm-hmm. following as, as the pandemic has sort of 
it's not really gone, but as we've sort of moved to whatever we're doing, it is we're doing now, like they have successfully held events now. Yeah. Uh, and so the fact that so, somebody has grasped the steering wheel, somebody has <laughs> yes. grabbed it and they are driving and they are steering us in a direction. <laughs> will it be a good direction? I, I think it probably will be. I think there are people who might argue maybe not. Uh, but I, I am just glad that it now seems like someone is driving. Well, I, I think you, you framed it very, very well. And I think that leads us to that, that exact question, which is what's the direction and do we think it's a good one? Because you mentioned PAX, you mentioned Star Wars Celebration, and those are fantastically well-produced events, I, I would argue. And the thing about them is that they are very much fan-focused, uh, you know, person-off-the-street-focused, buy a ticket, go, enjoy, have a cool event. But E3 traditionally has been more of an industry event. So, and and I know that as you outlined very well, that sort of has been nebulous and has changed over the course of the years, specifically in the last few E3s that have happened, that has changed in a big way. But do you think, Rebecca, that uh, having a company involved that really creates consumer-level events changes what it is and and uh, makes it less useful for folks like us or for the industry in general to sort of have messaging and be the place that E3 used to be? I think there's a couple layers to this. So the first the first that I'll get out of the way is the sort of very personal one to me, which is that Chris Dring, uh, he's, he used to be the publisher at GI Biz. I don't know exactly what his title is now. It's like head of B2B or something. Um, but he used to be my boss. Uh, but he is, he is part of this collaboration. And GI Biz is explicitly a business site. And GI Biz has helped Read Pop put on multiple business events. Uh, they specifically, uh, before, before PAXs and before like, uh, Pax Dev, I think it's what yeah, they PAX call Dev, it. Pax Dev, thank you. Uh, they, they have specifically put on events that are specifically for developers and for business before. So there are people, I know for a fact there are stakeholders involved that know how to do a business event. Uh, but but sort of on top of that, even even without sort of my personal connection and awareness that the people in charge, you know, know what they're doing, hopefully. Um, no, I, they do. Uh, they're not, they're just not all the people in charge. Uh, right. But if, read, if, if all this was, if all E3 was going to be was an even bigger PAX, then Repop would have done it already. Like PAX West mm. is the big PAX. They already right. have a big PAX. We don't need an even bigger consumer event. Like that's that's silly. We don't have a, there's no gap for that. There's no space to fill there. E3, I, I mean, people have different opinions on whether it should have ever opened its doors to the public or not, but we, we were already here. It's already that. And I think the best trajectory for E3 possible is one that gives all of the people, all of the players involved, like PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox, Activision, Blizzard, Ubisoft, all of the big names that you want to see in E3, it gives them a reason to show up. And right. there will be a bunch of fans here to play games is not a good enough reason to show up. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, I mean, I think it is. I would love, I would love for everyone to just be able to show up and play games. But if you have, if you have to spend a bunch of money to, you know, put together vertical slices and get demos ready, you're not going to do that. Just you put up free demos when you feel like it. You'll do it on your own schedule. The draw of E3 for big companies is that they can make those business deals. Maybe Maybe they can get things behind closed doors to media that they, that when media are all actually in person in the area, that might be a little bit tricky to do otherwise. We've, you know, we've got digital digital methods to do it now, but they're not super reliable or super amazing. You know, we've seen 
trying to do demos during the pandemic pandemic has sucked. Uh, but but the, the incentive of showing up there is that there are business opportunities. You can have people pitching games to you or you can pitch games to other people. You can talk to executives that you're only going to see one time a year. Uh, and, you know, it, that's the advantage of E3. And you need to put on a good business show for those people so that they will have incentive to show up. And then if they show up, then, you know, hopefully they are also bringing some stuff that they are willing to show the public. And then you have a good consumer event as well. But I think if you don't have enough people bought in and also enough clear opportunities and space and thought put into that element of it, then all those people disappear. And then you just have kind of a, you have kind of a mediocre packs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you, you sum it up so well. Um, you know, we've, we've had PAXs for what a decade and a half. Uh, and they very, very rarely are newsworthy. They're, they're cool events. I love going they're, to a pack. They're fan events, yeah. They're fan events. It's, news doesn't break at these things. And so, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's the danger is that this becomes a mediocre pack, which I hope it doesn't. But, you know, Christian, the other side of this is uh, mere moments after the ESA's press release hit my inbox and many people's inboxes. Uh, I saw a tweet from a friend of the show, Jeff Keeley, saying, uh, hey, just want to reiterate, Summer of Games is still an in-person event in 2023, still happening. So we got like a WWE, WCW action going on right here? (laughs) What do you think? I mean, I hope not. That's the thing that kind of bums me out about it. I'm working on my newsletter that hopefully will go out this month, and it is kind of about what these conferences have evolved from and become, and the idea of competition, but not business competition, but fan competition, and feeding into that kind of toxic fandom of this is better than this, and I'm an X-Bot or a Sony fan person, or uh, Team Keeley, oh, Keeley's killing E3, or, you know, the ESA is going to show Keeley how to do it. Like, all that stuff to me now largely feels exhausting and doesn't lift up a lot of the stuff that I love about the industry. And while the ESA did um, give my old uh, address to everyone in the world, um, (laughs) I I, I do think that they have... the industry's interest at heart. Like, I don't think it's an evil industry that's trying to ruin video games. I do think that as a, a big trade group association, they're trying to elevate games. And that kind of started way back when with creating a group so that the government wouldn't step in and regulate. And I think the same thing is true of Keeley, even though Keeley does have a very firm handshake. Uh, and I wasn't expecting it the first time 10 years ago. Well, I do well, think he has the best interest in game of games may, in mind. Maybe it was my, my fault for framing it that way and, and sensationalizing it. I don't think so. It. If you look at like the the replies to that thing and even news stories that came out or, you know, SEO stories that came out, it was very much that. I mean, he timed truth, it at that time. And or, But the you know. truth of the matter is, if there are two of these kinds of, event, of events happening in June – trying to cover the same stuff added on to the fact that a lot of these companies have just said, Hey, let's just do Nintendo directs, you know, instead there is going to be sort of a divvying up of the pie, a divvying up of what is announced at what place the, the reality is there will be some of that. No, no Rebecca has got that. No, no, no. So, so, 
not to keep dragging Chris Dring into this, but he wrote this really interesting editorial over at GI Biz where he talked about sort of the the weirdness of being a ma- massive fan of E3 and then covering it as a journalist and then suddenly being in charge of its future. Um, and in there, he very specifically <laughs> called out that, uh, you know, it talk, talked about working with partners. And I believe he has some line in there where he's like, yes, even Summer of Game or Summer Games Fest. Sorry, where IGN is Summer of Gaming. Keely Summer Games Fest. Summer Games Fest. <laughs> uh, and the other thing about that too is, so so Keely put on, I don't know how many people know this, but Keely put on a really fantastic media showcase this year, actually, like just for media yeah. and influencers. Right. Uh, it was called Playdays. Uh, it was right after his showcase. It was like it was sitting nestled in a little sandwich between uh, Summer Games Fest and the Xbox showcase earlier in June. Uh, he was really good. It was really, really well done. It was two days, appointment only, media influencers only, Really chill, a uh, really nice venue. Uh, the game selection was not like mind blowing, but this is also not a mind blowing summer for games at the moment. I know right. if there's something you love, but I mean, just in terms of like the usual blockbusters you'd see around E3, everything's gotten delayed all to hell. Uh, Street Fighter Six was awesome, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, like like it was a really good event. And I he used to be in charge of Judges Week for E3, right. and I. I am totally cheering for a future because I because you know he backed out of working with E3 after everything just started falling apart. But I think again, I think that now that Reed Pop has sort of grabbed the steering wheel, I think there's an opportunity for them to partner. And I I, I don't have any like insider knowledge on this, but I everything that I've seen so far indicates to me that he will probably end up partnering with them in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's doing their media of it, which God that would be amazing not to have to push my way through twenty million people to get to an appointment. Yeah. Uh, whether that's doing their media event or just coordinating some sort of satellite event that is still connected. I I think both he and all of the people involved in E3 all share the goal of wanting to bring the industry together. And you don't accomplish that goal by splitting it in half. Right. Yeah. I think all of us are like, hey, can we have a Gamescom-esque like couple of days that is before you just open the doors to the yeah. public, please just let us get our love work that. done. Uh, well, and it remains to be seen, but I love I love how bullish you are on it. And I love I am. I lo- I've been I, so I, pessimistic up to this point. And, and I, I don't I don't know if it was them announcing it earlier, if it was people I trust being on board that that shifted me around or even just how well play days went. But I don't know. I'm I'm feeling good about this one. I'm, that's great. I'm really hopeful. Well, so let me let me test how far your hope goes. I, are you? Can you envision a, a sort of a return to glory for E3, uh, where that week really feels like it used to, where it's this big tent pole in the middle of the summer where everything gets announced? I think it won't be 2023. I think I think 2023 will be good. I don't think it will be. Right. Uh, I I think 2023 will be a good acid test of what the future is going to be. I think if everybody if if a lot of people, it doesn't have to be everybody, because I think people are still going to be very committed to doing their own thing. And I think you're still going to, I, I don't think Sony's going to come back the first year. I think mm. it's going to be really hard to drag them back. I think yeah. I think Nintendo will do a direct around that time. And if, if E3 happens, well, E3's happening. When E3 happens, they'll put a booth in there. But I think I think they'll be a little tough to pull back. I, I Xbox is in. They love this stuff. Uh, but but yeah, I think, I think it'll be tough to pull some people back. But I think if 2023 can go well enough, then 2024, 2025, we'll start to see everything coalesce again. I think this is I where Reed Pop flexes their expertise, right? So, like, they also do Emerald City Comic Con, New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. uh, EGX, which are UK list, which is a video game conference. It's, it's fan uh, focused more so than E3 was. But I think what Reed Pop's expertise can do is making it part of it, at least a fan event that gives a lot of eyeballs to it. 
Keeley often talks about how many eyeballs his showcase attracts and having a lot of eyeballs is going to want to make companies put their thing in front of all yes. those eyeballs. And so I think Reed Pop has the expertise to make E3 a can't miss event. And by making it a can't miss event, publishers are going to want to come back to it to be a part of that hype. I think they still will continue to do their own directs and do a state of play just on a specific game throughout the year. But I do think Reed Pop is going to be able to leverage their expertise and experience in this thing to make it a hypey, fun, big event in a way that doesn't need to eat Pax's lunch either. Um, and I think even at Emerald City and New York Comic Con, where I have more experience, there are still business being done at those events. Yeah. When you are walking around the show floor and going to Artist Alley or going to the big panels, you don't see it, but it's definitely still happening. A lot of the people in Artist Alley aren't there necessarily projecting, but they're not there just to be in Artist Alley. You know, there's a lot of business that happens in the hotel rooms and the conferences around it. And I imagine E3 will continue continue to be the same. And my hope is that it will be a place again where there will be undiscovered gems. You know, like that was always my favorite part about it. It was great to go behind closed doors and see Skywalker Saga four years before it came out or whatever that ended up being. But I always loved the indies or I think that was the first time I played um, uh, VR, like Eve Valkyrie was that Mm. first demo, like Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or whatever it was. And I love stuff like that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Well, I hope uh, I hope our optimism uh, bears out because I I would love E3 to be back to being E3 and and I think a big part of it is is the, the, for me a big question mark is Sony is like is Sony going to be tempted to come back maybe not this year as Rebecca points out but at some point because that's a you know it's a major part of the industry so uh but with this story I kind of lumped in the fact that we also heard this week that BlizzCon is coming back uh, at least uh, that is the intention. According to Mikey Barra, who is uh, the now current Blizzard president, uh, so Rebecca, do you uh, do you see this one actually happening? I I mean, these are very different kinds of events, yeah. but it's interesting that everybody's kind of talking about 2023 as being some sort of return to normalcy. Yeah, this will happen. Um, I mean, yeah. this, this is reliant on one company doing something, and they just said they're going to do it. And I mean, I know companies say things all the time, but I I feel like we've I have my own personal opinions about how advisable it is to gather with large quantities of people in compact spaces right now. Sure. Yeah. But I feel like broadly enough events have happened without news of mass outbreaks occurring at those events that we are now at a place where ever where, where the business case has been made. Like people people believe they can wade back into that territory. And I, I feel like we have committed to that. We have started walking in that direction. And nothing short of something just really horribly dire is going to take us out of that direction. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think I think BlizzCon is going to happen. Uh I think it will probably be smaller because everybody's dipping their toe in the water. They're testing it out. It'll probably be smaller than in past years. Uh it's a weird I'm interested to see how that goes down because BlizzCon is very I've never been. I've I wanted to go. There were many years when I wanted to go because I, I was a huge WoW nerd for years. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what this BlizzCon is, right? Because Blizzard is in such an interesting place right now. Uh, both yeah. like as a comp- like they were at an interesting place even before all the crap came out about them last year at the at the sort of space where they hadn't come out with anything new in a while their current wow expansion was you know doing as well as a wow expansion does but not not being 
the, the community was very critical of it still is yeah. uh and yeah like, like overwatch 2 had been delayed all the heck uh diablo 4 everybody was like where's that and and then all this other stuff comes out and now their company is undergoing this massive transformation and now microsoft is involved and so i feel like it's going to be a very interesting blizzcon i don't know exactly how uh but yeah they i feel like they have a lot to prove with this yeah they're saying uh, i think that's absolutely true uh, they're saying 2023 they're not saying when in 2023 oh. traditionally blizzcon is like an october november oh that's right so they event. won't have it this year It'll so be- it might yeah it might uh, but who knows if that's still going to be the case you know they may move it around but theoretically you'd have you know the new wow expansion supposedly coming out like december 31st the dragonflight it's then and by the end of year yeah, this year so yeah this year be, so by by that so that'll time, be out uh, Overwatch Two will be play a, be will be playing Overwatch Two. I, I'm sure they will ha- be able to talk uh, more about when Diablo Four is coming out. I mean, they'll have stuff to sort yeah. of celebrate. So they've got that mysterious survival game they're apparently working on. Right. Yeah. So maybe there's the coming out party for that. Who knows? Uh, but uh, Christian, what do you think? The, do you think? the Microsoft acquisition affects this in any way, or are they just sort of allowed to do their thing? I think that's the biggest question, Mark, is what does Microsoft do or say? I remember way back when, when PlayStation had its fan event, and then I really enjoyed it. And it actually took place right there where BlizzCon takes place. You know, it's like, oh, I've been in this hall before. Okay, yeah, it's Sony now. It's Sony. This is an Uncharted booth. But, you know, it very much felt like that, that similar experience. And I thought for a long time that Xbox would follow suit. And Xbox does have fan fest stuff. And they had some virtual watch alongs for E3. And they usually do a fan event around E3. But they hadn't done their own bespoke fan get together in that big way yet. Um, I still think once it's, you know, what'd you say? I think they did. Uh, I think they, I can't remember what it was called. but X-Fest. Yeah, X-Fest. Yeah. weird. No, no, I'm making things up. Did. I don't think that's real. I don't oh, think they ever I, did. Something like that. No, I was just making it up. Uh, they had FanFest around E3 and like the Microsoft yeah. Theater was their area, but it was always whatever well, it's called, Dolby Theater. Years ago, Microsoft they theater. did an, an, an event for Xbox. Maybe I'm just being old guy who remembers like 10 years ago, but they, they I can't remember what they were called. They had a name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Make your point. Well, now in chat, Epic Open World has already said it, but QuakeCon still happens. So mm, they've right. shown yeah. a willingness to allow these uh, bespoke, smaller things exist on their own. And Microsoft isn't trotting out a fabled sizzle at QuakeCon, you know, or, or doing something like that. And everybody here gets a free livery for Forza Horizon. You know, it's not that style of show. They're letting these things keep going. So in that regard, I think uh, BlizzCon will likely proceed. I I think the biggest question is like, get your house in order first before you celebrate the company. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there's a lot of not stuff to celebrate. There's still a whole uh-huh. lot of not good stuff uh-huh. to celebrate. So that's the, you know, it, it feels kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> well, uh, we shall see, uh, you know, barring some continued variant that ruins everything uh looks like or something new jeff or something new don't uh yeah, don't be right. so could, optimistic be a, a brand new <laughs> <laughs> um 
Horsemen of the Apocalypse way- coming down the road for us. Yeah, something way worse. Come yeah. on. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so uh, big, but big news, and I and I'm hopeful that uh, that we're right that these uh, that these events are going to be uh, awesome, and we'll be all talking about them in, in in a year's time, and we won't even remember the pessimism that we felt. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Speaking of in-person events, digital events are still rocking and rolling. There's nothing wrong with a good a good digi. Everybody loves a good digi. You know, we like watching, seeing games getting announced and released. And uh, really, uh, was it Nacon Connect 2022? Um, they announced a bunch of stuff, and so we can talk about the a bunch of stuff. But the two things that I want to spend some time talking about are RoboCop Rogue City, and man. We saw footage for the Gollum game. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I will say this about the Nacon Connect 2022 event. Almost every single game that they announced had gameplay footage. That's true. Gameplay yeah. footage. There was only a couple right at the end that were like, hey, we're also working on this. That didn't. But for the most part, I got to give them a ton of credit because you know, in a year where we saw many, many events, where you know, just... And, and previous years, where your CG announcement trailers, your title cards, et cetera, et cetera, they came Metroid with... Metroid Prime 4 is coming, Jeff. I don't want to hear you speak ill of Metroid <laughs> Prime 4 or Bayonetta 3, okay? They're happening. So we saw, you know, we, we had never heard of this RoboCop Rogue City game before, and we saw... Well, it's not coming out till 2023, about a year from now. They say... I think they said June 2023. Yeah. Uh, but we saw, you know, in-engine gameplay stuff. Uh, so Rebecca, I'd love to hear what you think about RoboCop a- and anything else from uh, Nacon Connect that sparked your fancy. I embarrassingly did not watch this. Oh, okay. Um, I did not. I did not know this was happening. <laughs> kind of. They were a bit up. late it's to late the party the on the summer. Yeah, yeah. Summer well, it, it's funny because there's look in the month of June slash early July, you look at my work calendar and there are 50 trillion random little digital events that someone else has put on that calendar. And (laughs) I I just, I put my head down and write my silly little articles. Yeah. I I, I felt really bad because I saw it come up and I think we even co-streamed it. I feel like very guilty, but like someone else was assigned to look through that. It wasn't me. And I I think I was doing an interview or something. And then I blinked and a bunch of games had gotten talked about. Well, and so I got to tell you, I apologize. No, no, don't apologize. I, I got to tell you, I, I was pretty impressed for a, for a company that I don't think is, you know, uh, l- perceived as being a sort of top tier. Uh, that one Terminator publisher. game that's better than everybody thought. Like, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? The yeah. Terminator game's pretty it was okay yeah. uh, like i said it too like you that, that's like the advantage of this thing that has happened where now we can have all these digital events i mean it sucks because they're all like they've blown apart and scattered to the winds it's all right. over the summer and we can't keep track of them all yeah. but it is advantageous if you're the kind of person who looks for these specific kinds of things because then they're able to get they're able to grab their audience specifically and pull them in. And, you know, like, apparently a bunch of people saw a bunch of things they liked. I don't know what chef life is. Maybe that's good. I like chef things. Uh, it, it is exactly what you think it is. It is It is a very intense, uh, you can design the look and feel of the interior of your restaurant. Okay. Uh, well, you I thought it was that you got do- yelled at by the head chef. You weren't getting paid enough to make a living wage in a big city like New York or L.A. Thank you, chef. Corners, corners. Thank you, Chef. Have we, all been watching, have we all been watching the bear? It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. I, we, my wife and I talk like that now. I, I thank you, Chef. Corner. Why did you, 
yell at each other and talk down to each other and shoot things very no, closely it's a, all the time. It's a, it's, a, it's it's respectful. Okay, <laughs> thank you, that. chef. Good chef. <laughs> Chefs. <laughs> I tell my I call my kids. Chefs, get in here. Anyway, uh, chef, uh, not my jam, but uh, looked uh, looked like that. Um, let's talk, Christian. Let's talk about a little about RoboCop though, because um, I'm curious what you what you thought of it. It looks shiny. It has actual uh, what's his name in it? Peter Weller. Peter, Peter Weller. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it has it has RoboCop. You know, the actual voice of RoboCop. It's OG RoboCop. This is and not face. His, his clearly his face. Yes. At the end, it made a big big point to like show him without the mask yes. thing on it's like we got this guy it's the guy this is not robocop 2018 2017 with the it's killing not the old and the, the northman 1987 one either which i played a lot of thank you for well, your yeah no, it's not like i'm at that movie though not that movie i love that arcade game though when the gun so is like a brawler but the gun would come out of your Amazing. leg and you shoot like when you are three times and the gun comes out of the, the leg in, in in full pixel glory you you aren't very impressed that, by you i mean again you. To, uh, I think we talked about this offline. Uh, that is a, another example of, uh, and even maybe this of like very violent movies yeah. getting like clearly kids get, like Predator. I think we talked about it when you played the Predator Ness. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like that's a violent movie. And it's like, and here's a game your eight year old can play. Daddy, I'm <laughs> oh yeah. killing the Predator yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that on the film cast with regard to that Lightyear movie where it's like, this doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, there's, it happened a lot. Anyway, yeah, it happened uh, all the time. But what yes, did you think game, of the footage? I thought it looked great. And I, I it, it looks, it, it has, what I love about that RoboCop, that era RoboCop, Frank Miller, you know, penned sequel style, original also RoboCop, is that it is a futuristic Cybertronic future, but that's not cyberpunk, right? It's not neon, it's not bright lights and all of that stuff, but it is like, metal arms and and weird bodies and also what i hope this game has and i think it does based on this little bit that i've seen robocop is very much a satire and a critique of government and corporation and all of these things that are very present still in today's today's world when like a company says we're going to go colonize mars and doesn't think about the weight behind the word colonize <laughs> and the things that that is, uh, brings to light. But it is very much a commentary uh, of the world as it was seen in the, in the mid and late eighties. And also this, and for people who haven't watched the original RoboCop, it's like the cops and the bad guys, if I remember correctly, are both being paid by the government to lower property value. So another company can do it. It's all this stuff going on, but all people remember is like a melty face, um, but there's some meat, there's some meat to that RoboCop bone. And this looks like it has that aesthetic, right? It's got the, the right nostalgia actor and it has RoboCop moving. RoboCop's not sprinting through the world the way the RoboCop skin does in Fortnite, which also looks great. But RoboCop is kind of this slow moving behemoth who's almost indestructible or thinks it is and then targets people and takes them down. I thought the targeting reticle was really cool the way it looked in HUD and Visor. It looks like they're putting a lot of care into this license. And as a someone who's only 18 years old um, and just discovered mm-hmm. RoboCop this year, I have a real fondness for that license. And I think it looks like they're handling it with a lot of respect. And as I mentioned when we brought up the story, 
that one Terminator game is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did announce uh, another Terminator game, which evidently evidently is going to be a survival game. Very no info, just a yeah, kind of like one, a tease, like, yeah. "Hey, we're working on a Terminator thing," and it's like, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, but yeah, that's exciting. Um, you, I agree that this looked way better than I thought it would based on, you know, it looked like you, you hear a RoboCop game. You're like, I'm not sure it's going to be good, but it, this looks like a really cool, slick shooter and uh, has a lot more development time left. It's still a year out, but I uh, love having never seen RoboCop anything, never seen the movie, never participated in anything remotely. RoboCop couldn't even tell you what RoboCop looks like uh, simply from the word RoboCop. I have a specific image in my head. <laughs> And every single time someone talks about RoboCop, it immediately bears out to what I have in my head. It's exactly <laughs> what I think RoboCop is and should yeah. be every time consistently. And I kind of want to watch the movie as a result of that. But also, I deeply don't because that would shatter this wonderful thing I have going on. The here. 80s were a time without a lot of nuance. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was uh, it's RoboCop. What is that? It's a robot cop. What do you want it to be? Cop? What do you need? <laughs> Watch the first one. The sequels get messy. And yeah. Even like I think Frank Miller released his original script as a I think Dark Horse comic book, also kind of messy. But the first movie holds up and is a, a very unique. Oh, what's the director's name? Um, oh, um, oh, golly, yeah. I can't think of it. But it's very much of his style, which is still his style. Um, a, a lot of close ups, a lot of. Uh, you know, like building suspense and then breaking it immediately with like a slow motion foot comes in and then we go wide and then there's a shot. Uh, it's incredible. Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. Yes. yes, Paul Verhoeven. Yes, thank you. Um, it, the first one's really, it, it holds up. And I think it is one of those things that over the years has gotten a lot, like the commentary part, people have memed out of it. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, I love that. Yeah, shoot bad guys. And it's like, that's that's not what it's about. But I guess if that's what you're taking away from it, maybe that is what it's about. <laughs> uh, you but mentioned like uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum, which we sh- we saw more footage from. Um, I would agree with your take that does not look great. That oh, you're making take? me say it? It does not. It, it, I haven't seen it. I said it. Yeah, I Rebecca. It. It, I can't it, help you. Picture every stealth sequence uh, in every game. And like it had like voiceover and it was like experience what it's like. Or maybe that was in the, the email, the press release. But it was like what it's like to be Gollum and Smeagol losing his mind into the uh, you pers- chase the one. And then everything was like Gollum crawling to a shadow. Yeah. And then a guy walks by and then Gollum goes to a new shadow. And then Gollum throws a rock. And then Gollum yeah. climbs a wall. And then Gollum. And I don't. This is this is an example of like sometimes I point to Obi-Wan, which. I love you, and McGregor, and I will watch him with a lightsaber probably until my dying day. Um, Except you didn't. I said I will watch him with a lightsaber. I've seen all the clips of him with the lightsaber. There's like five <laughs> minutes, Jeff. Spoilers. Um, but like when that was announced, I was like, "That's not the time frame I'm interested in." Like, what I know what ha- I know where he is. I know where he goes, and I thought that was going to be my prime example of that. But I remember when this Gollum game was announced. But this, this, this is. This is like Marilyn Monroe jumping out of the birthday cake being like, this is the example of the thing. Like there's the, the the crystal moment of the thing that everybody points to. And that's that moment for that event. And Gollum is the example of the thing of the story that no one needs told. No one needs this story told. Follow that train at all. I don't know where Marilyn Monroe came in, but I, I think I get what you're saying. You're saying no one. So you no followed it. Said, I want to be Gollum. Then. I want to be Gollum. You, 
is what you did not ask for this. No one said, "Hey, what is that whole Gollum experience like?" Or what is that? What is that part of the story that's been missing? Like yeah. you, you know what he was, you know what he became, and you know where Dumb he names. ends up. Yeah. yeah, give me random elf or random dwarf or even random. Yeah. Ho- give me, give me Chef Sim as a Hobbit. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it does actually. <laughs> I have I have both a take and a a minor piece of information. I, I have not seen the trailer in question. I have not really looked at any gameplay of this game. I do know that we ran a preview. IGN ran a preview for it. Like it might have been in like June or late Bay or something. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, and I we did not include. We normally do video previews alongside our written previews. Like that's kind of a stipulation. And uh, we were not allowed to include video footage in mm. that uh apparently it doesn't it bode well didn't look great uh and i our previews are usually pretty generous like reviews will will critique but previews were pretty generous because you know any number of circumstances could result in something that's still in preview not like fully playing well or fully being amazing but a yeah. preview is not as generous as uh as, as it seems like it's maybe having some trouble <laughs> Yeah, um, I certainly didn't. It didn't show well at, at this event, and it, no. I would agree with Christian that I, I am, I don't, uh, I'm not anticipating Lord of the Rings Gollum very much. No. Like, um, the thirty seconds of fun. I don't want to keep beating this dead uh, Hobbit. As I say, dead horse, but horses do yeah. die in Lord of the Rings, but a yeah. lot of Hobbits do too. Um, I don't know what that thirty seconds of fun. Like, I don't picture like, oh yeah, finally. Well, that's gonna be some sweet combat. Yeah, I can pick. I don't know. I don't know what Gollum yeah. does well. Unless it's like, you know, what I would play is Gollum Brain Age. And you have to, like, draw a ring. <laughs> it's just really easy, oh Brain my God. Age. Draw the a ring. The answer to every question draw is the precious. <laughs> draw a ring. Yeah, yeah that I'd play. That I'd play. My hot take on Lord of the Rings games is stop. Everybody yeah. just stop. But that's a uh, very expensive license that people need to get their money out of. <laughs> I, and this is where I reveal myself as just a pretentious jerk. But I, I read the books... And I loved them. Ooh. And I thought I thought the original Percy Jackson trilogy was or sorry, uh, Percy. Wait, Peter Jackson. Peter, Peter Jackson, Jackson. Thank you. I, yeah. Which one's the one in the I was book? Like, which per- you read the Percy Jackson books too. Well, now we're just listing books. <laughs> no, I didn't. Read. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that. I always say it backwards. No, I, I and I thought that I thought the Peter Jackson trilogy was pre- was really good. Like that really hard series to adapt into a good film series. Very yes. good. Yes. Everything beyond that has been gratuitous and useless. Throw it all out. We do not need this. Uh, I feel like the vast majority of people attempting to interpret Lord of the Rings since then have been cruising on the popularity of those original three movies and trying to make something that hits just as big and do not truly understand what those books were about. Including including Peter Jackson himself with the three Hobbits. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I think the the Warner games had an interesting system in them, but that should have been applied to something else. Agreed. Yeah. Literally anything else. Agreed. And then, like the one, Three Kings, the three, which is that Peter Jackson, but I think it was the Three Kings PlayStation Two game. One of those games is very good, but I got a press yeah. release in my inbox not long ago for a Lord of the Rings mobile game that sounds like it's going to involve collecting Lord of the Rings characters and like maybe doing mm. I don't know, like some deck building or something. Wow, I couldn't think of anything farther from the spirit of Lord of the Rings than free-to-play horrible character monetization. What are we doing, people? Yeah, like I said, expensive license that needs to be needs to be paid off. 
Just um, put it into the public domain and let people make stupid little itch.io games where, where they're inserting their own Legolas fan fiction. That's great. <laughs> if everybody is just allowed to do whatever nonsense they want, then I'm fine with this. But I think the, Rebecca should be in I'm charge sorry. of this license, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. I have no, feelings about this. Continue. <laughs> I want to pull out a couple of uh, highlights from this Nikon Connect before we get oh, too far away from it. Because there was a bunch of games other than the two we've, we've talked about so far. <laughs> Uh, the first of them is, uh, perhaps the biggest surprise to me because when I saw, I did not watch this live, but when I was going back and and watching it, uh, anytime there's a new zombie game announced, I'm like, well, I will probably not even bother to watch the trailer for that. I'm not really interested in a zombie game, but I did watch the trailer for Paradise Project. And I'm glad I did because I think somebody might've actually stumbled upon a way to make me care about zombie games again. Or shambled this, upon, maybe? Shuffled upon. Thank you. <laughs> shuffled upon. Thank Much you. better. Yeah. Uh, so this is Paradise Project with a Z instead of an S at the end of Paradise. And the idea seems to be that the, the trailer is, is notably devoid of any actual explanation. But what I was able to pull out and what I hope is the case from the trailer, it's an isometric game. So already I love it because I love isometric. But... Uh, <laughs> It seems that you are, you know, it's called Paradise Project. It seems that you're trying to create a utopia out of the zombie apocalypse in that you've got ways to force the zombies to do things for you. They have these little helmets on with lights that look like they're they're radio controlled. You can like give them commands. And so it's uh it's like a world where you get to go around and and deal with zombies but also use them as your own personal servants and create this utopian society where the zombies work for you instead of against you and i'm like this is clever this looks funny this looks fun this looks like a completely unique take on a very tired genre from my perspective Mm. so i I, biggest surprise of this show was paradise project yeah it has a little yeah right spoilers for a very old movie or old movie i don't know if it's called as very old but has a little Shaun of the dead end vibes where it's yeah, like right no no we live with the zombies and it's like pushing the car doing the work or yeah. whatever and and i think there's lots of room for like you said jeff hijinks to ensue where it's you know like that jurassic park vibe of like uh-oh these zombies got out <laughs> you know and like working within that world uh, the other game that I wanted to bring up uh, and ask you about specifically, Christian, because uh, you're such a car guy, is mm-hmm. uh, WRC Generations, which uh, – this is this a real thing? I'm not aware of this. The idea behind this game is um, mostly electric but hybrid uh, rally car racing where the layer of strategy is how do you manage the battery of your electric car, uh, which is not something I've ever seen before. I don't, is that a real sport? I, I don't know. I have to imagine yes, because the WRC games typically have leaned into like World Rally Championship is what WRC stands for, have typically leaned into more of a realistic, you know, it's more Gran Turismo or Forza than Forza Horizon or some of these arcade games. Um, so I don't know specifically this hybrid uh, mechanic, but the world WRC games before have been pretty good game so i i would assume and hope that this one follows suit but it looks really cool it lo- looks i mean the graphics look fantastic and just this idea of hey we're doing these cars that are have sustainable fuels which is kind of an awesome just idea for a racing game anyway it's like hey maybe we can marry this a notion of of loving cars and also not actively destroying the environment 
And uh, but also that that kind of layers on this cool strategy element of how you use the battery when you use the battery, uh, which they kind of talk about in the trailer looked really cool to me. So WRC generation is the other standout for me from the Nacon Direct. Um, all right, so I have uh, my story of the week to get to, but I first I want to thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. Oh my goodness, Squarespace! I've been talking about Squarespace. Uh, for many, 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 many years. I've been using Squarespace for many, many, many years. Uh, I've talked about it as an easy place to build a website, and it remains that. But also, Squarespace has become the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. It lets you stand out because you can make a beautiful website, and you can engage with your audience, and you can sell anything on Squarespace, your products, the content you create, even your time. Squarespace makes it easy for creators to monetize their content and their expertise in a way that fits their brand. They have these member areas that allow you to unlock a new revenue stream for your business and free up time in your schedule by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. And you can build the videos right there on Squarespace with their Video Studio, the Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Plus, if you're selling stuff, they have online stores. It's so easy to add a marketplace to your website on Squarespace. You can sell products, uh, whether they're physical or digital. Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling things online. They've got analytics. It's optimized for mobile right out of the box. They have blogging and commenting features, really everything you could possibly need for your business, uh, whether that business is selling actual objects or selling your time or, or just increasing your brand awareness. It's an amazing thing that they've focused with this new version of Squarespace. And Squarespace, if you use our promo code, is offering you 10% off. Go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. You'll get a free trial. You can check out all these features. You can build a website for any reason that you might need. So simple. You can buy domains at Squarespace. You've got a free trial. You don't even have to give them a credit card. They won't automatically charge you after a period of time. Nothing. It's free, free, free. And then when you're ready to launch your site, use our promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word, and you'll save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. I've bought many domains on Squarespace. has an awesome front end for that. Makes it so simple to find the domain you want. Over 200 extensions are supported. They have really awesome ways to suggest a, a domain if you, the one you want is already taken. It's great. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. All right. The, my story of the week is personal to me. Uh, because listeners of this show for any long period of time know that I went through many years of being completely addicted to Heroes of the Storm. Uh, it was the MOBA that I fell in love with. It was, we talk on this show a lot about games you're dating versus games you get married to. It was the uh, prototypical game that I was married to for many, many years. I was playing other stuff and then I played, uh, and then I was also playing Heroes of the Storm. Play a thing, half an hour of Heroes of the Storm. I, Paid money to a coach to coach me in Heroes of the Storm to get better. I tried getting, you know, working up the leaderboard. I was obsessed with Heroes of the Storm. 
Well, this week, the news hit that it is official. Blizzard uh, released a statement saying that Heroes of the Storm is officially been sent out to pasture. You can still play the game. There's still uh, a community around Heroes of the Storm. But uh, all future patches will focus on client uh, sustainability and bug fixing and balance updates. But there will be no new content uh for heroes of the storm so it is uh it is finally time to say goodbye although i haven't played the game i mean i i i have said goodbye a little earlier but it's still well, a very kind personal of- story for me because it's one of those things where it's like this was that game for me this was that 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 game that i loved and it's it's done i'm sorry Did for they- your loss <laughs> thank you rebecca I appreciate genuinely it. yeah they kind yeah. of already announced that didn't they say like we're moving our team off of it. Like I remember they, saying a couple of years ago of like, they, they, yeah, they said, had a statement at the last BlizzCon actually. Uh, and here's the storm. I like, had no presence at the last BlizzCon. It was very sad, uh, but they still had a team working on it. They were still doing um, skins and stuff like that. Mm. Hadn't had a new actual character enter the game since uh, December of 2020 when Hogger was put in. So there was no new heroes for, for several years, but this is like literally, hey, this game, we close the book on it. We will, you know, if, if, if we have to update for any kind of stability thing, sustainability, uh, we will. We'll look at it if we have to, but not because we want to. Did what, they yeah. shut down the shop too? Did it say, like, are they still well, taking people's money? Away, or? Uh, like the, one of the hard, biggest mounts in the game, they're giving it away to everybody as like a kind of a farewell gift and... Um, I don't know if they're if they're actually not accepting any more money. I, that's an interesting question, but it is. There's no new stuff to buy, so if you want to still earn all the mm. stuff in the game, I'm sure they'll let you. But um, yeah. I think you know I've talked about it. I haven't talked about it in several years. When I started doing the dungeon run, I basically just didn't have time for this game anymore because dungeon run was so all encompassing for me. Um, but uh, so I haven't played it in a, in in a, in a bit, but. For me, it really was the best MOBA. I mean, I, I never got super, super into League or Dota, but I, I dabbled. And the reason I, I was hooked on Heroes of the Storm, over and above my love of the Blizzard characters, which I genuinely have, um, the games were short, they were focused, they were, it was so smartly designed that way of really giving you a much more focused uh, experience and uh, kind of cutting a lot of the fat of the MOBAs of, of, yeah. of the early game in the MOBAs was just sort of just tedious with a lot of those other MOBAs. Um, and, and I loved that for it. I thought it was very, very well designed and I, it broke my heart that it never really caught on in the way that Dota or league did. Uh, it was always sort of struggling. It always felt like an also ran, but there was so much love in that game. And, um, you know, Lana Bashinsky, who's on our, uh, our Wednesday show, uh, worked on that game and uh, talks about how much the team was passionate about it. It felt like a labor of love too. And uh, it's sad. It's sad when any of these kind of uh, long sustained um, live projects uh, goes dormant. And this one for me was, you know, mine, mine. Pretend C-suite exec. Jeff, why do you think this didn't catch, right? I feel like it had so many things going for it when it came out. It had that IP, you know, were those players not willing to move over to a new genre? It felt like this was Blizzard's experience of feeling what everybody else felt when they tried to launch their uh, MMORPG. <laughs> and it's like, this is going to be the good one. And Blizzard's yeah. like, no, nope, can't crack. Yeah. Wow. 
And I feel like this they it were did on the something. Other side of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe MOBA players like that fat quote unquote. Well, that's like, I mean, honestly, li- living through the I would play the game in alpha and in beta and uh through launch and for years after. And that was the thing you heard. And it's kind of hard even to think back, what, five years ago now? It's not that long. Think back to two years ago. I don't right. remember. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't remember what I did yesterday. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> um, it's hard to remember how big MOBAs, how all-encompassing MOBAs were. It was before Battle Royales, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. that was the genre. Mm-hmm. And at that time, this thing launched and and the the hardcore MOBA players were like, this is the MOBA for babies. This mm. is the this is my first MOBA, they called it. My first MOBA. Because of all the things that I liked about it, which was like yeah. trimming the fat. You can get in and out in 25 minutes in a game. You know, it just, it gets right to the good stuff. It don't, you don't have to have all the lane discipline and goofball-y stuff that you have in those. And, and you know, for the players that had put in the time and effort to learn all that and and indoctrinate themselves in it, that felt like, well, don't tell me I, I can skip four years of college. <laughs> you know, like that's, that was the hard stuff. Uh, <laughs> so it was like, oh, this is the, the baby version. And I think it never really escaped that stigma. Which yeah. is a mm. it, it is really sad. I, I, did, I, I was not married to Heroes of the Storm the way the way you were, but I did have a similar relationship to it. You know, I I write about games for a living. It's good to know about many different types of games, even though they not every genre is my favorite. Uh, as a big WoW player and a big Hearthstone player at the time, I knew I needed to figure out what the heck a MOBA was so I could understand it. And Heroes of the Storm was my, okay, well, let's figure out what a MOBA is. And yeah, it was Baby's first MOBA. Uh, baby here, it was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, had a, yeah. I had a really amazing time. It was accessible and yeah. it was accessible, and I, I like I knew all the characters. All it was amazing how closely the characters played to their counterparts in the various games. So I already understood yeah. like their move sets, what they might be good at or bad at, respectively. Um, I it came with a built-in community if you were already a Blizzard person because. People who like Blizzard tend to be very like devoted to Blizzard games, and so like all my friends who I raided with in WoW were playing Hearthstone and Heroes of the Storm in their spare time and Overwatch. Yeah. Uh, so I had a, I had like a built-in team, and it was great. And I I, I mean I didn't stick with it forever because I'm not a MOBA person. Uh, I mean I think the real tragedy of Heroes is that it feel it it we know there there is a Diablo four coming. We know like Overwatch two is imminent. Uh, World of Warcraft will go on until it falls over and dies. Heat death of the uh, universe. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hearthstone's a different story. Uh, Heroes of the Storm has gone the way of Starcraft. It, it is this yeah. thing, like, and, and Starcraft was extremely popular for a long time and it got Indeed. sequels and it was yeah. extremely beloved, but they, they've given up on Starcraft as far as I know. Like yeah. they, it's done. And Heroes is now going that way too. There's not going to be a Heroes of the Storm 2. Right. I, I'm not aware. I feel like if they were working on another MOBA, they'd at least let us know before they killed off this one. And right. so like, this is just it. And it feels it feels like a reduction in Blizzard's really interestingly diverse portfolio. Like they make a lot of different kinds of games that are all really interesting. And it feels very much like a narrowing because yeah. WoW and Diablo and Overwatch, I feel like collectively have a little more in common with the mainstream than like Heroes and uh, Hearthstone and Starcraft necessarily did. Um, and I, I mean, I'm kind of wondering about what the future of Hearthstone is going to be because I feel like that game is starting to lag as well over the years. And I wonder if the answer is they come out with a Hearthstone too, or they give up on that one also. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is really, it's this is really sad. I wish, I wish it could have sustained. Or I mean, not every game can live forever, but I wish it could have gone on to evolve into something new. 
Yeah. Yeah. It had, I mean, it had a good run. Uh, I, I certainly loved it. A lot of people did. The community is, was always really strong and, and, and I think people were in it because they loved it because you know, it wasn't a, the top in the top tier uh, MOBAs. Uh, it was overshadowed by those big, big, big games. Um, but, you know, you talk about a Blizzard fan uh, of, of which I, I was, you know, up until the last couple of years. Yeah, same. Uh, and th- Here's the Storm made me appreciate the characters in the other games more. It was really yeah. cool how I would, you know, I would start playing a, a you know, I played a decade of, wow before i ever touched heroes of the storm but i didn't always absorb every quest line uh, the story that was going on it's a big big complex wacky world but you play you know here's the storm enough and you're like oh malfurion oh right his wife is Tyrande. right yes i've played both of those characters you know it's you have a different relationship to them and that is one of the things that i found so rich about it is you know, it informed this family of games, which yeah. uh, I loved. So Blizzard's and, been doing a cinematic universe for a really long time. That's right. That's right. That's how, that's how I feel with Nintendo, where I'm like playing New Super Mario Brothers uh, again with my kids. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Bowser. Bowser plays first base and bats fourth. Because um, <laughs> I know him, of course, as a baseball player. Um, so <laughs> it's just really fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, enough commiserating about that. Let's talk about the games we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? Tell us on The Playlist. I'm very excited to dig into Rebecca's playlist because you have been playing a game that uh, Christian, at least, has no idea how to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> live alive, live alive, live alive, live alive, live alive, live alive. I checked because I'm reviewing it for IGN, and I have to do a voiceover for a script, and I better <laughs> say it right, or the comments are going to be mad. It's live alive, live alive. Uh, tell us about it. I'm very curious. I have to be a little careful. So I'm the preview embargo is up, so I'm limited in what I can talk about. Okay. Uh, there's actually a demo out right now, and you can play. It, okay. Live Alive is a game that came out in Japan in the 90s. It is a Square Soft at the time, now Square Enix. Uh, it, a lot of the same people who went on to make Chrono Trigger. Uh, if you were a Chrono Trigger person, play this. You can see the bones of Chrono Trigger in so much of this game. Uh, Live Alive this game is- killed and ate Chrono Trigger and spit out its bones? <laughs> uh, sure, we can go with that. Uh, it is... An extremely interesting story structure that I've not seen in any other video game. Uh, it is seven separate uh, vignettes. Uh, people in completely different time periods, ranging from prehistory all the way to the far distant future. Uh, and you play them all. They all have different main characters. They all have different stories. And a thing I can't talk about that you may... Well, it's, it's weird that I can't talk about it because this game came out in the 90s in Japan. So if you played it before, like, you know, you can say whatever. Uh, but you may find uh, as you journey through their different vignettes that there may be things that tie them together, certain themes or ideas perhaps. Uh, But yeah, it's basically seven separate stories that you can play in any order you want. Um, And the ones that I am allowed to talk about are, uh, let's see, I can talk about the American West. There's a cowboy story, Uh, the far future. There's a robot story uh, on, on like a spaceship that is very much like the plot of alien, but a little bit different. Hmm. Um, I can talk, who else can I talk about? I can talk, there's a, there's a, a story that takes place in Imperial China. That's like a, a Kung Fu master passing on his art to his disciple. 
Um, and there is one that takes place in Edo, Japan, uh, which is a, a samurai trying to infiltrate this manner of evil samurai and take down their leader. Um, and they're all very different. That's the thing that is so fascinating to me. The the American West one, is, so there's a battle system. There's like a, an RPG battle system. It's grid-based. You can move on a turn. It, there's all these like little intricacies to it. But not every chapter uses it. They all use it in different ways. Like the, the far future chapter where you're playing as this little support robot, there's no combat in it. It's it's just conversations and problem solving. Mm. Uh, American West uses a little bit of the combat, uh, but the majority of that chapter is... There, there's a, a group, a bad posse about to roll into town and you've got to help out the villagers to set traps so that when they show up, you don't have to deal with a gajillion guys all at once. Um, but then the, um, the Edo Japan chapter, the samurai chapter is uh, you are trying to infiltrate this manor and you're given the clue in at the beginning that you can either do this very stealthily. You have a stealth ability where you can hide uh, or you can just murder everybody. And it's, it's very good. Live Alive is very good at making me suspicious at what it is doing, uh, at what what the mm. game wants me to do and what the game, it, it, like, I think the game is going to trick me in some way, which I love. I love that stuff. And, like, Chrono Trigger people will love it. And I also think if anybody like Undertale, I think you will really mm. like Live Alive. Uh, Toby Fox has cited it as one of his inspirations. And uh, the, the main boss theme of Live Alive, Megalomania, uh, Toby Fox listened to, and it inspired the biggest boss theme from Undertale, which is called Megalovania. Oh, wow. Huh, I'm alive. That. Everybody get on that. It's really weird and good. It I is wish more games were weird. Yeah. It, does it feel like a 30-year-old game? Does it feel dated, or does it feel like something that could come... I mean, obviously, graphically, it's a little uh, throwback, but we see a lot of that now. Uh, it's does a it feel full dated? remake. It's a yeah. full remake and it's done in the the new sort of I there's a word for it I don't remember what it is but the graphical style that like Octopath Traveler is 2.5D uh, or something like that. Yeah, and I I think it looks really good honestly. The original Live Alive if you look back uh did not look very good even for its time. Uh like if you're comparing it to Chrono Trigger which came out a couple years later, eh. Uh, but, but this, this looks quite good. I think there are some scenes in this that are very beautiful. I mean, yeah, it uses sprites. So mm. if you look at a sprite and automatically think, Ooh, that looks old, then yeah, it's going to look old <laughs> to you. Uh, but I think they've done a really wonderful job with this technology. And honestly, I, I would love to see more old RPGs remade in this style. I think it, it does a really good job of preserving the spirit of what the original looked like while also bringing it up to date. That's cool. Live alive. Wait. Christian, do you have any, uh, any desire to check this out? So, Part of me says yes, and then part of me knows what I'm currently playing, and I know that I don't have time for it right now. But I do. Right. I I love a love the idea of <laughs> these um, older games getting re released. I think we have talked about it on this show, Jeff. Maybe we were just chatting about it pre or post. I don't know. At some point, I think I've said this, and I'll say it again because why not? Um, this came out around that era of rpgs and jrpgs doing very different things and yeah. there were a whole swath of different things and we kind of then got the tactics era and then this battle system was this and the idea of what a jrpg was or is didn't feel necessarily as rote as it kind of went to i think at some point and so i think a lot of these older games for a lot of folks will feel very new and very fresh because it's a type of mechanic that maybe hasn't been done again for 20 years. Um, and so I like yeah. seeing these things come back and I love, I love, um, you know, the switch and the steam deck as a way to play these games. I think it suits them very well. Yeah. Christian, I very much feel along what you just said. I feel like live alive 
thus far gives off the impression of a path not taken, right? Because that was the era where RPGs mm. were trying, you know, different things with the sort of genre that was evolving and all these things would later evolve into other things that we now know very well. Uh, Live Alive feels like something that never, that was really good, uh, but it, it never left Japan. And I don't even think it sold very well at the time. And it's become sort of this like strange cult thing, but it, it's shocking to me because it is, it is really good. It's really good. Ugh. Having not go. spent time with this demo any real amount that I can talk to or played it forever ago, I feel like the closest thing we got to it, which is interesting to now see them kind of use the art style, is kind of Octopath, where it's yeah. similar yeah. in the sense that it's these disparate stories that right. are perhaps more than that. Um, Octopath, I, like I do not feel, lives up to what Live Alive may or may not be trying to do. Wow. Well, I know a lot of people that love Octopath, so that's uh, that's high praise, I think. Uh, or, or, I mean, if you listen to last Wednesday's episode, you know that I often prefer single path. So I'm a big fan of uh, <laughs> single path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Live Alive. That's uh, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, you're also playing another uh, Square Enix joint. Oh, yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to pause to play some Live Alive. But before that, and what I will go back to now that I'm done with Live Alive is uh, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, which I guess also scratches my itch for weird RPGs. I love weird RPGs, weird, really weird ones. Uh, and I, I did not like the original Final Fantasy VII, which I think I think it's because the original Final Fantasy VII for me fell into the same trap that Star Wars did, where my entire life everyone hyped this thing up and told me it was the best thing in the world and was just astonished that I had right. never seen Star Wars. You've never played Final Fantasy VII? What is wrong with you? You're culturally right. incompetent. Right. And then I finally did in like my 20s, and I was yeah. like, yeah, this is... I don't yeah, know, what's the fine? big deal? Yeah, I get it's it. Fine, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So I never caught on to that. But uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't want to spoil Final Fantasy VII remake for people who have not played it. I'm about like maybe halfway through. Uh, I, it is not a pure, uh, faithful remake of the original Final Fantasy VII, and it is doing very interesting metatextual things to reckon with its own status as a remake which is really cool. And I wish more video games, I wish more video games were weird. It's so <laughs> yeah, weird. That's, that's I love the takeaway today is, is be weirder video games. It is. It could, be, yeah. it could almost be called like, uh, not reimagined, but I do think remake is kind of a misnomer for it. Sub- it it's a uh, retweet. I don't know. It's a trick. It's a trick, Christian. Legacy it's, wrestler or it's something. Named that, it's named that because it's tricking you. Because the whole game, it, playing a trick and i love yeah. it it wants you to think it's a remake because that's what uh, that's what the, i can't talk, i don't want to spoil it for people if you but i mean it's been out for a couple of years so you yeah. probably already know but oh. it, it wants it wants you to walk the path of the remake while also questioning what that actually means and then uh very 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 broad spoilers if you are trying to learn nothing about these final fantasy 7 trilogy games that are coming out as remake we got news i think it was just this last week between last show and now that all of the locations from the original game will be used and, and no, like, I forget the term was set pieces, or maybe it was just locations and characters will be left out. And I'm kind of like, what is that? How, How that going to work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, feel, it feels veiled secrecy. Like, yeah. are we getting a flashback somewhere? Like, are we getting a flash forward? It's very interesting, but I think very aware of what they're doing. And I think that's exciting. Uh also, the rumor is that uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake will be a PlayStation Plus extra uh, free game uh, for uh, for July. Uh, that's at least there was a, a leak 
uh, a leaker claimed that that's the that's the case. So uh, if you haven't played it and you are subscribed, maybe maybe now's the time. If that ha- if that's true, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, there you go. Uh, Final Fantasy VII remake and live alive. Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist? Um, so I I want to put a little more time into Neon White before I give it a full or, or say we can do a full Wednesday epi about it, Jeff. I don't know where you've Neon Whited or not, but I want to put a little more time into Neon White before I do that. But what I want to talk about this week, what has Neon White has brought me back to is Gran Turismo 7 in a very, very, very big way. Because so they're basically talk- the same game. Yes and no. I think you say that sarcastically, but yes and no. So Neon White, we talked about, I think, on last week's main show. And I talked about how I kind of couldn't play any other game while I was playing that game because it kind of uh, consumed my dexterity and mental focus as the cards and asks got layered on top of each other and the creativity in it. You know, I I feel like it's the mind... Uh, freak of portal but you're going 100 miles an hour and it requires pure focus but i needed i needed a respite i needed a break and then i also i think it was between last week's and this week's show i went out in a friend's very gorgeous um race car and i was like oh this is this is real nice we went through some la canyon roads and it was i have two kids i've been married so like fifth best day of my life it was real nice real nice (laughs) <laughs> real nice i gotta make sure i get you know let's say eight just because i probably missed something in there but like meeting me i, I, I was gonna say i met jeff that's like 22nd <laughs> but like it's above that like just yeah. for sure above that but below kids um and so i was like oh gt7 will become will be that that respite from neon white for me and i thought at first when i was consuming neon white i was like oh the puzzles the gifts will give me that and i think that's kind of how the game is designed um and I'm talking about Neon White a lot, as I said, it's Gran Turismo 7. Uh, but what, how I found myself back into Gran Turismo 7 and quote-unquote rolling credits, which is like finishing the menus and, and the bulk of the, not the car collection, but the things that that game guides you through to do, was the idea that I wanted something that still challenged my mental state and finding a line and kind of getting into that flow state of navigating a space which I thought was either going to be like something like Beat Saber is kind of that, even though you're not moving, but you get into that rhythm state of things coming at you or um, other racing games. And so Forza Horizon felt a little too chaotic for me to be my jump back into game. So I was like, I have a lot of Gran Turismo 7 to do. I'm also completely obsessed with the 2023 Nissan Z in real life right now. Any listeners, if you have a Nissan connection, um, hi. Uh, <laughs> do want do I'm not even asking for a proto spec here. I'm I'm talking like just just you know yellow and anyway I love that car and so I I wanted to just get back yellow. into the game. Yeah, go ahead. yes, Sorry, go ahead. The, not the blue. I don't blue know anything. Nice. Go ahead. Yellow I just was laughing. So I wanted to have that car in real life. I wanted to go on some of the tracks that my friend and I talked about. Where we were in their very nice car, and that brought me back to Gran Turismo Seven. And it became this moving meditation for me in a way that was such a rest and a focus from the chaos of the world where I was just going in and mastering a corner, mastering a segment of a track again and doing it with different cars. And then I went back to the menu progression system that I think I had, I think there's 40 and I had stopped at like 20 or something like that before and going back and revisiting that menu system and getting refocused on that and away from all the other things the game lets you do. I really came to appreciate Gran Turismo's 
um, that tutorial mode that Gran Turismo had done so well in the past before of introducing you to all the various things you can do in the game. One of the menu things, I think this is early, but I don't think I talked about it on the show, maybe like 10, 15 around there is like, go put a wing on your car. Like go put an aftermarket wing on your car and that's it. So it can fly? Yeah, so it can, because it takes off, it pushes a button, it becomes, no, no. So you can have increased downforce, Jeffrey. Oh, this is is how I would play Gran Turismo. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I really like that, how it walks you through things. Because a lot of games, you know, you give, you have that first person shooter, look up, soldier, look down, soldier. Yeah. You're good to go. And how you introduce someone to the vast world of menus that Gran Turismo can have. I think that menu book item at the cafe does it really, 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 really well. Um, and then the other thing I want to bring up again about Gran Turismo 7 that remains absolutely exquisite and I think helps with this moving meditation style gameplay is playing on a PlayStation 5 and having a Gran Turismo game that has almost no load times. I feel like this is how this game Finally, they've achieved their vision of what the game can be because you're constantly bouncing out of menus. Go to this. Okay, got to change your car. Well, the, you, I should probably tune my car. Okay, this is a precision track. I do want to apply more downforce. Okay, I can do this. Now I'm going to take this car and you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was able just to sit down and have hours melt away as I did those things without that loading friction that while I've always loved Gran Turismo 7 this year, and I think we I saying pretty highly of it when I first talked about it on this show, it crept very high on my mental order of games that I'm loving so far come 2022. And if you are like me and maybe moved away from it too early because of all of the things that were out then, um, I think Gran Turismo 7 makes a fantastic summertime game. Awesome. Gran Turismo 7 on PlayStation. That's uh, uh, Christian's playlist. Uh, if I want to talk about Nissan, a game. Call me if you work at Nissan. And call you, me. If you have a yellow, anything yellow, just call just, Christian. He just wants yellow. Twenty twenty three Z. Oh, yellow. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I I don't know how much I've talked about this before, but one of my weird fascinations and and joys is tennis games. I love tennis as a sport, but I also love tennis games. I, I often find them to be very fun. Uh, you know, they're just basically pong, but I, you know, it, it tends to be the case that I play way more of a tennis game than I think I'm going to, because I get super into it and, and they're super fun. Christian and I got really into, uh, Mario tennis, whatever it was called. The, I can't remember the postscript on that one, the subtitle, but switch Mario tennis, switch, I think. Is that, that aces? I think it is Aces. Aces. Is that, is anyway, that an we, older one? I don't know. Mario I, Tennis is I, good. I enjoyed that game quite a bit. But I, I love uh, I love a tennis game. And uh, I found myself uh, preloading. A, I saw a tennis game come up on uh, Xbox Game Pass. And I was like, oh, this is the perfect. This is going to be great. I'm going to. It's the perfect time for me to sort of like just casually get into a tennis game and have a great time. Just like play this, you know, uh, as I'm playing other things. It's on Game Pass. I don't have to buy it. It's, it's I already have it. Preloaded that thing. Got super excited. Looked at the date. Put it on my calendar. Like Match Point comes out this day, which was this last week. Match Point, uh, a new tennis game uh, on Xbox Game Pass. And uh, I got to tell you, this game's hard. <laughs> In a way, I was not <laughs> anticipating. <laughs> it's called Match Point, not first serve jeff it, it Come on. really claims to be 
a a simulation of very high level tennis, which is I think a laudable goal, and I don't know how well it achieves it because evidently I'm not high level at tennis. <laughs> 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 I like, you know, I love uh, like we would play um, Mario Tennis, you know, trying to hit back and forth and trying to hit in a way that you, you don't think the opponent's going to anticipate and switching up the, the different button presses to have different kind of power uh, up. Jeff, this yeah. is like switching from Heroes of the Storm to League. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I guess it is. I've been playing the baby games. I've been playing the baby games. <laughs> But I played like there was like a U.S. Open tennis and it's been a bunch of tennis games that I've enjoyed a lot of them. This game. Now, as I was describing, you know, in most tennis games, it's like the the, returning a (laughs) returning a shot is not hard. It is you're trying to, you know, where you're going to place the next shot and which button top spin or slice or how, you know, the button press. And this game has all that stuff. But I can barely return uh, a shot. It, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating. But um, the first, like, you jump in. There's a tutorial that's f- fairly well done. F- very uh, not complicated. It, it, it's basically how you play tennis games. I'm like, okay, I got this. This is cool. Yeah, all the different swings. Yeah, power. You hold it down longer. As you get to the to the, the ball, you... You, you anticipate what kind of shot you want. And the longer you're able to hold it down before you make contact, the more power it's going to have. All kinds of cool stuff. Great. Mechanically, great. Get in. I'm like, I'm going to start a career. I'm going to start a career. I want to get into this game. I want to start a career. My first game, I did not win a game. You know, in tennis, it's game, set, match, right? You have to win six games to win a set. I, I was, it was six love, six love, six love. I was like, I couldn't win a game. I barely got, I got to deuce a couple of times. I'm like, I'm getting smoked by the first (laughs) match of the career mode. Smoked. Now, inevitable. This was my career. I chose the wrong (laughs) career. There's a little cut scene where your dad comes and goes, maybe you should try accounting. Uh, (laughs) Um. Yeah, but, have you tried uh, podcasting about video games, son? I got the career yeah. for you. Yeah, podcast. <laughs> um, inevitably, I'm going to get some emails of people who are like, "You're a moron. You're just bad. Get good because this game's not that hard." I I literally I found it uh, I found it very difficult to, to place a shot where I wanted to place it. You're doing kind of three things all at once. I found it and. I kind of respect this about the game where it's like, I'm, I need actual skills to just progress at all in this game. And it has very little voiceover. It's not like Madden or FIFA where they're, you know, trying to replicate the experience of watching it on TV where the, you know, they have hours and hours of dialogue that are dynamically interspersed. This game literally like is silent and you're playing a game and then you lose and it goes, Wow, that was terrible. <laughs> it's just like the commentator comes on and goes, Well, he's he should be embarrassed about that one. And like, I'm getting really your- is this a bit or does he really? No, no I mean, are you doing honestly, a bit? I'm being slightly exaggerating, but basically, it is that it's like, Well, it, he really blew that opportunity. You know, it's like it just oh. it only comes in at the end when you like lose your game, another game loss. Oh, he's really getting smoked. You know, it is just brutal. And I, found, I I couldn't believe that I I literally couldn't 
get four points. Wait, what? You know, 15, 30, 40 game. Yeah, I couldn't get four points in a row against the first opponent. <laughs> and I have, I, you know, I put in a fair amount of time. Uh, so that's my, my review. <laughs> it's not a review. That's my experience playing uh match point is like, I went, Oh, this is not casual fun times. Just go and play a little tennis, have a great rally. Cause most tennis games, like the Virtual fun tennis is these awesome or, rallies, yeah. right? But real tennis, when you watch it, very few rallies, you know, the point is determined uh, pretty quick most of the time. And this game replicates that. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh, if I actually am going to play this, I'm going to have to get real serious. And I went, I don't think I'm going to get serious about this game. <laughs> but so I say that to the audience to say, hey, if you're looking for something like this that actually requires some skill, it's not just happy fun times tennis pong. Maybe match point is your thing. But that's my experience with it. All right. <laughs> uh, I do want to, I have to ask, uh, Rebecca, about uh, one more thing. So to do that, we need to carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, Rebecca, uh, you listed on here that you have played a party game that I'm very curious about. It came out, I think, a couple of years ago. It's called Wavelength. And I've heard very good things about this game. I'm so happy I actually have played a tabletop game this time because I'm not... <laughs> I, I, ju I just moved to San Francisco like late last year. I don't yet have a, a, a group of people to play tabletop games with. And I... I had friends invite me over for cocktails and board games a couple Amazing. years ago. It was awesome. Really That's good great. cocktails too. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we played Wavelength, which I had never heard of before. And so forgive me if I butcher what this is. Uh, but it is a, it, it, it's sort of a, t it's a team game. Like it's a, right. you want to play, you play it all together and you have this, this like meter, basically mm -hmm. like a, like a thing from, from zero to a hundred basically. And you, you know, you, you wrote, you, you take turns being in charge of this meter thing. Um, and you, you close, big, close it up. It's literally a giant dial that you can. It's just, yeah. Giant burn. dial. That's a better yeah. word for it with, yeah. a, with a little thing that you can set. Yeah. Uh, and so, sorry, the cat. Uh, so you, you close <laughs> it up so you can't see where the dial is and you spin it around. And then when you open it up, you're, you're the only one looking at it. The other people at the table can't see it. Uh, it has like a section for four points and then a little bit out of that is three and then a little bit out of that is two. And it, it's like a point system. But basically it tell, it has, it's showing you a point on this dial, like from low to high or from one side to the other. And then you have a card and that card is going to give you a category and that category, or it's going to, it's going to give you like two, hold on. Opposites, right? It's going to give you two opposites, yeah. right? So it'll be things like light side of the force and dark side of the force. Or, uh, uh, oh man, what were some of the ones that we got? Um, things that are healthy or things that are not healthy. And so you have, you have the spec, you, you, you have the two ends of the spectrum given to you on the card. And then you have a point on that spectrum on that dial and you have to, you cover, you cover up the dial and you turn it around and then you have to tell everybody a thing that go, that you believe fits on that spectrum. So like for the, Light side of the force, dark side of the force is the one that I got. I'm not a big Star Wars buff, but I, I got like almost all the way to the dark side of the force, but not quite. Uh, and so I said, 
Kylo Ren minus the most recent Star Wars trilogy movie. Like I have not seen Rise of Skywalker. So Kylo Kylo Ren before Rise of Skywalker. And but they they couldn't see where it was. And so they then have to turn this little red dial where they think it goes. And they want to try to get as close to the thing that I saw, like the point on the dial that I saw as possible. And the closer you get, the more points you get. And if you get, you know, a certain amount of points, you can add more cards and you basically try it and you pass the thing around and you try to get as many points as possible and keep the game going as long as possible. Uh, I don't know if I explained that well, but it turned out to be really fun and it is very, very hard to look at a random point on a scale from one thing to another thing and name something that goes exactly there for you. Yeah, I think this is such a clever idea. I have not played this myself, but I'm fascinated by this. This was on a bunch of lists a couple years ago of, of like top party games of the year and it's it like one February that i have been 2020 it took the world it was like if you get together with your friends anytime in the next two years this is the Which game you probably won't yeah. um yeah no so this notion of you know it's easy when um, easier i would assume when it when it, you, you you sort of randomly get it pegged to one side or another yeah or when dead you, center usually yeah, like, yeah. like the, the two points in dead center are pretty easy but the, you know trying Just to like, figure out the exact gradients of someone's brain like yeah it is is a chocolate protein bar somewhere in the healthy food zone or is it unhealthy like would this person think uh because it's it's like mind games it's would this person think of this as that and would they expect us to think of it as that right um i think another one we had was like uh things things that are perceive I, I don't th- things that are useless or things that are not useless or whatever and i was trying to figure out like watering indoor plants <laughs> that's so good it's, where does that go it's kind of like in the middle because it's not actually like contributing to a functioning society but it's maybe good for your mental health i don't know like yeah you're trying to get inside each other's brains yeah on the same wavelength hence the name and, uh, and, there, there you go there you go uh this sounds really cool and i think i don't know if you, it sounds like you guys played uh just as a single team but the i think you can play competitively too where like the other team can try to steal a point from you and stuff um it just seems really, really cool. And Christian, this seems like something because this is an example of a party game. And I think the best party games are like this, that it doesn't really matter the the, the sort of knowledge base or skill levels of any individual member of the party is irrelevant, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, we're playing Jeopardy and one person's got a lot of knowledge and is going to, that's kind of a, not a fun party game, but the, the party games where it's like it doesn't really matter how much you know or don't know. Like it doesn't matter how much Star Wars you know or don't know. You can sort of like fudge your way through it, you know. And I think that's a really well designed game, and I feel like Christian, you would you would actually enjoy this. Yeah, and it's a small box, so it'd fit in the small trunk of a 2023 Nissan Z to take oh, to a man. friend's house. Um, it uh, I, I, this kind of reminds me of. Um, uh, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Oh, only one in that in that sense yeah, of right. it's more important to know what your other people think than necessarily what you write. And like only right. one is a game where you have to write one word on kind of like taboo. You're trying to get somebody to say something, you know, and you can only give them a clue instead of not saying words. You can only write down one word, and then they have to, they look at that word in the group. If you have any duplicates, you cross them out, and the person guessing looks at those words. And looks at like four words and has to think of the thing you're trying to make them say. And it's like peanut butter, hurricane, barf. <laughs> what the heck? And like everybody else, it's yeah. like 
of course barf associates with this other word and everything makes sense to you when you write it. And I imagine wavelength is the same way where you're like, no, a chocolate protein bar. Of course, that's slightly unhealthy because it's not <laughs> just raw broccoli, which yeah. right, yeah. ever. And, um, it sounds fun. I, I'm curious, like how much uh, was there? What was that Forever Ago Simpsons episode where it's like integrity? Yeah, this is what. Like, how much was there after the fact yelling, Rebecca? Where it's like, of course, this is what it is. And everybody <laughs> kind of meld there in the moment. Not a lot. I think the worst one that we got was uh, Dystopia to Utopia, and they gave us Neverland. And <laughs> you're like, which? You mean Michael Jackson's Neverland? <laughs> right. We couldn't decide because they couldn't give us any hints. And so we're right. like, wait, is this from the Disney movie? Is this from the books? Is it a dystopia? Who's actually in charge in Neverland? Is it a government? Uh, you just is, go down a rabbit hole of like. Is everybody stuck as children in Neverland or is it just the Lost Boys? Is Captain Hook a dictator? Uh <laughs> Does Rufio live? Disney like, movie whole... kind of racist. Uh, yeah, right. is, was that in the books? We don't remember. So things like that. Uh, but yeah, no, there wasn't a whole lot of yelling. I think it <laughs> it was a group of people that didn't know each other. Like it was it was couples, so the couples knew each other very well. Uh, but like the we all didn't know each other as right. well, and it actually ended up being a really good game for getting to know each other better. It's great. It's awesome. I love I love a party game that en- engenders that kind of uh, discussion at the end of like let's go deep on the politics of Neverland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Anyway, that game is called Wavelength. Uh, it is a board game that you can purchase, uh, and uh, I-, I loved hearing about it. I- I'm I'm tempted to buy it myself now that I feel like maybe I'll have parties uh, at some point in my life again. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Rebecca Valentine, thank you so much for being here. It is always a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Love it. Where can folks keep up with you and the things that you put out into the world? Uh, You can find my writing at IGN.com. I publish things sometimes. And you can find me on Twitter at Duck Valentine. Awesome. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? I'm working on that newsletter. I write a newsletter about my long-form thoughts about video games. You can subscribe to it for free at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. This upcoming one, I do about one or two a month or so. This upcoming one is I'm wrestling with the convention and kind of its history. This isn't going to be a deep dive uh, article. It's They're light. They're conversational based, but kind of where they were, what where I see them going to, hopefully. And, then and you've been doing finish- video versions of those, right, for patrons. After I finish the written version, I sit down and talk to a camera and put B-roll in and put in all that, you know, the editing time. So at some point later, those show up over on the DLC Patreon uh, video versions. People seem to really like them. So you'll find that at patreon.com slash DLC pod when it is done. And then I'm on Twitter at Spicer. Well, I should say I have an account on Twitter at Spicer. I'm not on it much anymore uh for the time being if you want to get a hold of me the best way is probably on our discord uh hanging out in there chatting with fun folks uh come say hi and be a part of the community five by five dlc on the discord uh you can follow me on twitter i'm at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t uh you can email us here at the show dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love hearing from you there for any reason any questions comments or your own reviews even if you want to have a, a game that we haven't talked about that you'd like your review on our show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, I also do several other shows. I do a movie and TV review show called The Film Cast. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. 
I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. And uh, we're about to spin back up uh, the fan-controlled show, uh, talking about the next sport that fan-controlled is going to do, which is uh, basketball. It's going to be fan-controlled hoops. So I'm very excited for that. So stay stay tuned to uh, twitch.tv slash FCF for that. Although maybe SCH now. I don't know. Ooh, we'll have to find out. Uh, all right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Rebecca, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I my suggestion is uh, pick one like publication, a thing that produces articles uh, that you enjoy, and get a subscription to it. Um, I'm not I'm not like like being a weird shill here because I am in journalism, uh, but I I realized that I had a bunch of random subscriptions to things but I wasn't actually supporting any journalism that I cared about. And I read, I read like disparate articles, like when something catches my attention, but I wasn't committed to actually reading a single publication. And so recently I got a subscription to the New Yorker uh, and I, I actually got a print subscription. Oh, and awesome. so every week they send me a magazine. The New Yorker's really good guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I've read the New Yorker before. I didn't like not read it or know what it was about, but it is really cool to get a magazine with a bunch of stuff. Like there's long form news reporting. There is really interesting profiles of interesting people. There's people talking about their road trips. There's good political cartoons. This week's magazine had tons of fiction in it, like really good fiction. There was a Shirley Jackson short story that was like one page long in it. Uh, it's really good. I, I feel get a subscription to something and then read it, like commit to reading it. I, I feel like journalism is struggling in general. The media landscape is very bad and scary uh, and you can't subscribe to everything, but if there's a publication that you love and care about and really like their work, uh, go get a subscription to it to support that one publication and then like commit to reading it. I think that's a fantastic parting gift. That's wonderful. I had a years ago, I had a girlfriend who had a physical subscription to the New Yorker and I used to, I, I used to love it. I used to spend just an inordinate amount of time doing the, um, the caption contest for the cartoon. I don't, do they still do those? I loved it so much. Loved it. Um, way, uh, so much time I spent on thinking up a great caption and then never sending him in just like being proud of myself. <laughs> Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? Well, I love I love Rebecca's. I, I think there's something to be said for uh, a non-algorithmically created collection or curation of things that go together. Like the New Yorker, not like every issue has a theme per se, but there is definitely a vibe to them. And I think things that are created by people that care about a thing having a voice um, and it's not just like, you watch this, so you like this. You like this now. You don't even watch this, but I bet you like this. Um, I, I like things that are curated by folks. Um, so I will second that. Then I have dose others. One, as I've been spending less time on social media, uh, I've been trying to do what I call purpose-based reading now, instead of like doom scrolling or just like open social media. Cause that's what I have, or I'll read this, check this website again for more bad news. Um, Those are I've purposes. Been using, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're right. I must feel bad. Um, I've, uh, been using Libby as my uh, library so book app of choice. And then also buying books, uh, mostly using Apple's books uh, way to do that. 
and I have it synced. So, you, I, you know, instead of like, I'm on my phone now, instead of like, oh, I'll open Twitter, which I haven't had on here forever, I'll be like, oh, I will read two pages of this book. And so I'm not on the things that I'm supposed to be on to stay informed, but I find that I actually know more about other issues because I'm reading actual things about them and not just hot takes, you know, hmm. like heaven forbid. And the book I'm reading right now is called Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. And it is fantastic. I was tipped off to this book from the podcast 99% Invisible. And the first kind of half of the book is about studying or discussing the architecture history and styles of malls and how they came to be and white flight and trying to bring the un, quote unquote unsafe downtown experience to the white suburban folks who fled because of feeling unsafe and creating this privatized town commons and what that means for us as a society where it's like all the things that used to be in that public space are now on private land and with controlled regulated hours and who can come and feel safe there and who can't and how that played with systemic racism in, in America. And then it also then goes into very much that 80 nineties mall rat style thing of courting in teens because they had the pocket money to spend, but then also not wanting them there because again, it was like icky and gross. And the people that would go to hot topic or the arcade would also get drunk and smash beer bottles in the parking lot and kind of the whole culture of malls. And I think reading it now as again, an 18 year old who's very young, um, but also in this pandemic, it's double scratching a nostalgia itch for me of like, I used to like hanging out at malls, even more recently with my kids and before times. And I haven't really spent time there. So it's a phenomenal book, again, about the architecture and also the societal importance and impact of malls. It's called Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. And then to my music folks out there, this came out in January, but I keep never doing it because it came out in January. I didn't mention it then, but I keep listening to it. Ian Dior's new album, On to Better Things, is fantastic. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly guests on a track. Travis Barker drums on a track. Um, it's got it's like sad rot, sad rap, emo rap slash punk pop punk style. If you like Machine Gun Kelly or Black Bear, I think you'll very much like Ian Dior's January 2022 album on to better things. He's like 23 and just a talent. Just absolutely incredible. Very, very cool. Great ones. Um, my parting gift it was a surprise to me. Uh, it is a new Netflix kids movie called The Sea Beast. And uh, I watched this with my kids. Um, I think this is one of the best pirate movies ever made. Barnard. Really? Yes. Uh, this the is, trailer it, didn't enthrall me. I loved it. I loved it. It is, it is so much fun it is so cool. Like, watch the first 10 minutes. If you are not blown away by the first 10 minutes, because the first 10 minutes, it starts off with them like, we're on the boat. We got, we're fighting a monster. And, and age, it, age appropriateness. Like, my son, about 45 minutes in, he's five, about 45 minutes in, he goes, Daddy, uh, I, I don't know if I want to watch this anymore. This is a little scary Aww. for me. Uh, and it, it's, it's intense. It's intense. Um, so like it's a kid's movie though, right? It's like action and it's a kid's a hundred percent a kid's movie. Uh, it, it had a sort of a how to train your dragon vibe, like less jokey than that. I mean, there's a couple of jokes, but uh, it's, it's got some swashbuckle, man. It's got some swashbuckle. Uh, and it just the, the way that the action is depicted and the seafaring, 
I mean, they do all this stuff. It's, you know, 3D animated kids movie, but it's it shot like it's handheld on the, like there's somebody right. standing on the boat running around the deck as these monsters are fighting. It's awesome. It's so awesome. I just thought the movie was awesome. So uh, the Sea Beast, check it out. I think you'll dig it. Um, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, it comes to us from Wyatt in Columbus, Ohio. Wyatt writes, uh, I wanted to recommend a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book titled The Last Ronin. This is a five-issue miniseries published by IDW and was created by the original co-creators, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. This story takes place in a future cyberpunk New York City where a lone surviving turtle must go on a seemingly hopeless mission to avenge his fallen family and friends. I've been a huge TMNT fan for about 30 years now, and this is a wonderful series that has been a long time coming. The tone is drastically different than anything before it, but this is a more mature and darker take on the TMNT characters. After being a fan of those stories for so long, this series feels like I finally got to the end of a long journey with these beloved characters. It invoked such a wide range of emotions in me, I couldn't help but be moved by it. The great thing about The Last Ronin is that it doesn't require any prior comic book knowledge to read it. You simply need a basic understanding of who these characters are. It was recently released in an oversized deluxe hardcover that collects the entire series, and I implore anyone listening to get out to your local comic book shop and pick up a copy. You will not be disappointed. Thank it's you beautiful. to everyone involved in DLC podcast for putting out such great content. And I look forward to listening to future episodes. Yeah. That deluxe hard copy is the way to go. If, if you can, it is stunning. And like the New Yorker having it in hand, like then you have a thing you have to do something with afterward. Uh, but it's phenomenal. I highly recommend reading it in hand page in hand. It's so good. I love tangible reading things. Indeed. Me too. Uh, thank you, Wyatt for sending that in. If you'd like to have your Parting gift read on our show. Send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Rebecca Valentine and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the bumpers that you hear on the show. They are fun and phenomenal. We appreciate those. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. And I also have to thank our Hype Train patrons, the top tier on our Patreon list. People like Jason Novak, Octavian Ratzio, Taylor Wigert, Christian Bravery, Josh Peak, Jad, Nick Strauss-Klein, Michael Stadler, Peter Olberg, Jackson, Michael Buck, Mike Lombardo, Travis, Soren Silk, The Spice Man Silencer, Yick, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, Jonathan Spice Man Forever Schlepfer, Zachary White, Nate, Jenny, Stu Goss, Ben, Kevin Brazzle, Scott Hughes, Dan Palmino, Radcliffe, Mitchell Ness, Jonathan Putney, Will with 1L Harris, Jeff Luxack, Matt Bradley, Victor Valenzuela, Jonathan Talbert, Chris Zacharias, 
Kyle Starr, Dan Flanagan, Anthony Goulas, Andy Joyce, Michael S., Relentless Rex, Matt Valdez, John Sisko, Curtis from Louisville, and the comedian Aaron Trahan. All right. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.